Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical, actually every musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to episode 20. Our special guest is Michael Goddard, an agent from Carlton Goddard and Freer Talent Agency. Hello, Michael Goddard, and welcome to Broadway's Backbone. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So, Michael, you are an agent. What's the name of your agency? I work at Carlton Goddard and Freer Talent Agency, CGF Talent. CGF Talent. And so I'm excited to talk to you about uh, representing uh, members of the ensemble and being an agent. But that's not actually how we know each other. No, it isn't. We actually did a Broadway show together back when we were both in the ensemble in 2001. Yes. Yeah, so that the first time we knew each other? We I think, knew each of each other. Yes. Prior, we were dancing in the same circles, but that's the first time we ever worked together. Yeah. So before you were an agent, you were actually a gypsy yourself. I was. For 16 years, I tell people I worked for 16 years as a performer. Well, tell me where you're from and how you got started. I am from Tucson, Arizona, and I am the kid of an, an Air Force uh, lieutenant colonel. So I was a military brat, and uh, I moved around a lot. So I actually wasn't born in Tucson, but Tucson's where I grew up. And uh, I was the baby of five kids who at one point auditioned for the church choir, and I liked the spotlight, and I did my first show, and I thought, oh, this is fun, I like to do this. So I did that since I was six. Really? Yes. In like community theaters, I was a star. No, I did like Winthrop Peru in the Music Man, and I was like, <laughs> I was I was a, a kid in the King and I, and my mother said, "Well, you probably have a better chance of getting this if you didn't have curly hair and braces." But I got it. Wow. So and hurt. of course, it's in Tucson, Arizona, so you paint your hair black and you put on orange makeup. It's fantastic. It's not at all politically incorrect. <laughs> um, but that was in 1979 or something crazy. So then did you go to college for it? No, because I was a community theater dude. I always knew that the people I starred in shows with were like doctors during the day and they would do a show at night or they were teachers or they were businessmen and they would do a show. And I was like, that's what people do. So I'll go to college and being from a nice conservative Republican Catholic family, I thought I'll go to college, I'll study business I'll be a businessman, and at night, I'll do shows. That's going to be my perfect life. So um, I went to college at Arizona State University, and I majored in marketing. I did not know that. Yes, I majored in marketing, and it was about five or six months into my first semester, and a friend of mine brought an audition notice and said, Michael, you keep talking about shows, but you're not doing something. And there was an audition for Music Man starring Russ Tamblin. Russ Tamblin, who's the original Riff and the original Gideon in Seven Brides, Seven yes. Brothers, and the original Riff in the West Side Story movie. He was starring as Harold Hill. I was a freshman in college. I auditioned for the music band, and I got it. So I was a marketing major, fraternity guy, college like activities person, and at night I'd sneak away, and I did this Musical Theater of Arizona production of the music band. Wow. Yeah, and then I worked with that company three or four times, and I did Oklahoma, and Ado Annie was Kathy Fitzgerald. Really? Yes, yeah, so I've known Kathy Fitzgerald for, hi Kathy, uh, probably <laughs> 30 years, almost 30 years. But that's the first time I met people, like Kathy, who I would say, like, what do you do? 
And she's like, well, I'm an actress. And I was like, yeah, but what do you really... She's like, well, I'm an actress. I'm, I, I'm a working actress. And I was like, you're the first person I've ever met who this is all... That's, their, that's what they did. I, I was so confused. I was like, but you have to have a real job. <laughs> and so I left college. I became a sales rep. I sold tampons. Um, I did. I worked for Playtex. I worked for Playtex out of college. I sold tampons and Germac shampoo and Playtex living gloves. And I was a sales rep in Los Angeles. And I started doing that. And after two or three months, I auditioned for a show. And I did a production of Pippin in the evenings. And I worked during the day. And that's really when people started saying, I'm an actor. And I said, yeah, but what do you really do? What's your real job? And they said, anything I have to do in order to let me do this. And that's I, a good answer. And I was like, wow. And I left my sales rep job after 11 months because I auditioned for a summer stock. And I left to go work at a summer stock as an actor, $150 a week, Salem, New York, for three months. My dad said, well, we'll we're going to support you and love you any way we possibly can except for financially. So I hope you're good. And I never turned back. I never, I never had a normal job again. Wow. So what led you to your equity card? Uh, I worked non-equity for like four or five years, like in the regions. I did a lot of like dinner theater in the Midwest. And I did a cruise ship. And then I did Will Rogers Follies in Branson, Missouri with Pat Boone. And then in 1995, I moved to New York. My first job was Westchester Broadway's Good News with Tommy Walsh directing and choreographing and some the, the most amazing cast incredible people and they offered me a non-equity contract and I said you know what I think I need to have an equity contract like I've had so many non-equity contracts and I've worked so many theaters I had like 150 EMC points like I, right. you know, you're supposed to get it when you were dead 50 I was like this is ridiculous and they were like okay we'll give you a card so I got my card at Westchester Broadway and I, what led me to it is that I, I, said, I moved to New York, I was in New York, and I said, well, if I'm here and I want to I I want swim in the deep end, I want to be in with the pros, and this is what you do. Well, question like more of it as, as an agent. A lot of kids now don't know when to get their equity card, because there's a lot more non-union work now than there was when we were kids. I mean, you could get these sadly non, non-union sure. national tours and stuff like that. When would you say is a good time for someone to know that they have their card? You got. I think you got to just know. You got to. You got to not have doubts. If this is what you want to do with your life, it's time to get your card. Right. You know. But what if the resume doesn't hold up, but their talent does? If their talent does, their resume will. Okay. I mean, how many how many nineteen to twenty two year olds doing that working on Broadway right now? They're the best ones. They're the ones who should be. They're that they have the talent. And if, if somebody goes off and does the lead in a non-equity tour or, or does the ensemble in a non-equity tour and that's where they want to get more training, that's great. But if the opportunity comes to get an equity card and they think this is their career, this is what they want to do, then you should take the opportunity because that's what you want to do. If right. you don't think you're good enough yet, then, then keep doing whatever you want to do. But hear that because the world's not getting easier. Right. Like maybe that means you're not good enough and that's totally fine, but it's not going to get any easier when you're 30. No, that makes complete sense. Complete sense. So were you always wanting to be on Broadway? Sure. Sure. Yeah. When I moved here, it was amazing. I loved going to Broadway shows and watching them and going, oh my God, I wonder someday. And then I started seeing a bunch of my friends up there. Like I went to Cats and I thought, I know half the cast. 
So it stopped being like, I wonder if I'll ever to, oh, I wonder when I will. Because it was just like, oh, I, I know these people. I know that I'm as good as these people. And I'd start doing really well at auditions. And I was like, oh, it's, it's going to happen. I know it will happen. Uh, James Gray, uh, who is the associate choreographer for Susan Stroman for many shows, he laughs because he and I were roommates together. And uh, we were watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade. We were both working at Radio City in Branson, Missouri at the time. And one of Stroman's shows was like performing. And we were watching it. It was amazing. And he looked at me and he goes, oh my God, do you think we'll ever get to work for Susan Stroman? And I was like, no, no, it's not if we'll ever, it's when we will. It, we will. It is going to happen. It's not if. It's when. And he re- reminds me to this day. I said that, and it's so. And it's so true. When you just started feeling connections, and you started feeling what was going to happen, you're like, okay, my time is coming. I know it is. So you were doing the secret and the, the power of intention <laughs> way before everyone else was. I guess. I guess. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. No, that's a good way yeah. to do it. And then you made your Broadway debut working for Susan Stroman. Yeah. Before yeah. you did that, though, you did the workshop for Strowman at Lincoln Center. How was no, it? No, I never did. What? I did not do the workshop of Thou Shalt Not. I just got cast for the show. Really? Yeah. I didn't do the one because didn't, I want to say, did Jack Hayes do my part? Like, I feel like one of her usuals did. I was just cast at the show. It was a weird audition because Thou Shalt Not had already had a reading and a workshop, and all, a lot of y'all knew that you were going to continue. But they still auditioned, and I was like, I don't even know if there's a part for me. But I laughed after I got it, because Jack Hayes was doing... Um, uh, contact. Contact, yeah. And so when I met him afterwards, I was like, oh, I have your track. And he goes, yep, you have my track. Because I was the tall one who then would lift people. Well, you're good, you're good at that. So how was um, just the excitement of making your Broadway debut in the Susan Stroman original show with Harry Connick Jr.? Oh my gosh, there's nothing like it. It was amazing. You'd be in a room with that much talent all the time and uh, and to create something with Susan Stroman is, is something that I, I wish upon everybody because there's, there's so much incredible freedom to for you to do what you want and to explore your character yourself, but then she'll give you these little hints and the hints are take you to the to take you to where she wants you to go but she gives it to you like it's your idea anyway and so she'll just walk up and be like okay so this is your job like even if you're in the background of a scene she'll be like so this is your job this is your relationship go and all of a sudden these four people who are sitting at a table have a plot that they're living on stage and it makes that entire scene so much better and you know i always laugh because in a strumming show in rehearsal the prop person will walk up to him and say, like, what are you drinking in this scene? And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm probably drinking whiskey and ice. I'm drinking a beer. I'm drinking a highball, whatever it is. And three minutes later, you have the glass or you have the bottle of what your character is drinking. So you're not even pretending anymore. You know, you're like, oh, this, is, this helps my character. This, I get it. This is more about me. And it happens. Which I think it's fascinating that a lot of people in the ensemble don't realize that they can make choices for their inner life as opposed to just being in the background and saying peas and carrots. Yeah. And it's interesting because also during the preview time, some stories became so interesting and unique, but they were supposed to be in the background, but the audience started watching those stories and 
she had to, Strowman had to cut certain people and certain bits out of moments. <laughs> and everyone's like, that was my favorite part. And she was like, exactly. Like, you just knew she was like, you can't. And we all knew in the end why she cut it because it's like, oh, the audience wanted to know more about that than what was going on. Therefore, that was too big. So right. get rid of it. And, and that was so smart. This is great that way. So, uh, unfortunately, the journey of that show had a lot of emotions attached to it, especially um, the fact that 9-11 happened right oh, during yeah. that. So not only did 9-11 happen, the show was poorly received. How was all of a sudden, this is your Broadway debut, having it kind of get squashed by that, or were you resilient? No, you know what was amazing about that is that we were in, as you know, we were in, uh, <laughs> we were teching the show. We were in the theater, and we were supposed to be at rehearsal that morning, at like, oh no, but I guess we were supposed to be there at like noon or whatever. We got phone calls at 10 or 11 that said, don't come, it's been canceled. Uh, but we went on September 13th and we're still in the theater and, uh, and, and had and got to witness and be a part of, I wish somebody had recorded it, like the most amazing inspirational speech that Susan Stroman gave to sort of tell us why we were there and what we were about to do. And we were about to rehearse and we're about to put on tap shoes and we're about to do a dance number and the world was a weird place and she just really allowed told us that you know what happened people wanted to stop our freedoms people wanted to stop and destroy what we do and we had to look and decide what do we do we do this and no one's going to stop us from doing this and so to be a part of that and to create art while this is all happening was was amazing but also was amazing is that you got to watch the intention of the show change because of what was happening in the world. Like the show, when we first started rehearsing, we're like, it's about love. It's about this, this love that you cannot, that, that you have to be a part of. It's, it's about this intense, really in, wonderful love. And then as 9-11 happened, the intention changed and now it was about retribution and it was about if you do bad things, bad things will happen. Mm. And that was not how we started the show. So the journey of the show and the, and what we were going to say about life in the show changed because of what society was going through. And so I think that's important. Anytime you create, it's not just about the most secure, solid place in the rehearsal room. It's about everything else. And things that are happening in the world do change what happens in the product. And sometimes it's for the good and sometimes it's not for the good. Right. So I thought that was the most interesting thing. It was uh, it was uh, cool to be a part of that. Oh, I completely agree. I, I, I cherish that experience. But people hated it. Yeah, sure. But that's, isn't that just, <laughs> isn't that art? I mean, that's the greatest thing. I'm the, nothing makes me laugh more than walking out of the, walking out of the stage door and one of your really good friends looks at you and goes, oh my God, I didn't like it. <laughs> and I go, okay, I didn't write it. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. thanks. I don't, I don't know what to say about that. I, I appreciate you having your experience, but yeah, now's the time you just tell me I did really good. Right. <laughs> no, because it was, it was funny. your Broadway debut and like, it just kind of, um, kind of like was a, an emotional wreck of an experience, but it doesn't ever take away from the fact of like, you were on Broadway in the Susan Stroman show. Yeah. And got to work with Harry Connick Jr., who was probably the most talented human being oh, alive. Just absolutely. because he would sit down and play drums, and then he would sit down and play the piano, and then he would sit down and laugh, and he would dance and do a joke. And you just, you cannot imagine the mojo that dude has. Mm. 
So you did also work for Strowman on the producers tour. Yes. Yeah. Oh. And weren't you injured when you auditioned, or didn't you turn down the audition? Well, the very first time I auditioned, I sort of, I kind of injured myself on the way to the audition, because I had, was doing the national tour of Bessel Whorehouse, and I think that I had a herniated disc, because then my sciatic nerve would totally act up, and I could barely kick, but I, my leg would feel numb all the time, I'd be like, oh, God, here it goes. So I had to come to an audition, and I was like, I could barely kick, and I could barely use this one leg, and I was not, I did not do well. And for the original Broadway production of The Producers, I went to the very end and I was like, I was like, I know they like me. This is a good fit for me. I didn't get it. But I was like, I was so close to Broadway. Of course I'm going to get the national tour. And I auditioned and I got cut immediately. <sighs> oh, this is not my day. And I was like, what is what just happened? Oh, my God. But then they were looking for a swing later. And I went to and I went to two more calls. I went to another call uh, that they were looking for a swing, and I auditioned. I had I had to call, I, I had to get excused from a show I was doing. I was doing Promises, Promises up in Connecticut. They excused me for one show so that I could come down and audition on a Saturday for Strowman. It was like six or eight of us, and we did everything. And I was like, "This is my time. I have to take off the show. I have to go to this audition because I'm going to get it. I'm ready." And I did not get it. <laughs> and then, like, another week or two went by, and they were looking for the swing again. And they called again and said, okay, we want you to come back. And so I went back, and I did everything. And Vinny Lift called and says, Michael, there are those moments when somebody walks in, and we just know 100% that was their job, and that's what you did today. He's like, I don't know whatever happened before. It just wasn't. But today, you came in and got that job. And so having someone like Vinny Lith call you and say that this is right for you, what led you to transitioning for it not to be what your vocation is anymore? Well, I also I knew I knew about being an agent or er, sort of early on in my career. It was probably like yeah, like two or three years after moving to New York, I would look at friends of mine, I'd think they were so talented, and I was like, Well, what what is your agent sending you out for this? Do, do you do comedy? And they're like, no, my agent thinks I'm just kind of a vapid uh, ingenue. And I'm like, oh my God, no, there's so much more to you. If I was your agent, I'd have you doing comedy and you should be the broad and you should do this. And, oh, you, you need a better agent. People would be like, oh, Michael, when you become an agent, will you be my agent? And I was like, sure, sure, yeah, yeah, no problem. So I started thinking like an agent and I would, and I realized I wasn't a casting director. I realized I was an agent because I would think about a person and their brand and what they could do and the kind of shows they could go into. I never wanted to like cast a specific show. I wanted to look at somebody and say like, how can we make them better? And what are they going to do in this industry? And so I used to be at auditions and I would, I would audition, I would not do very well, I'd be like, okay, it's not my gig. But then I'd call my friend and be like, oh my God, so I'm at this audition, they're totally looking for you. Like, you're right for this, I'm not right for this, so I'm leaving. But if you get here before too, I'm telling you right now, put your hair in a ponytail, wear your heels, put your tight skirt on, and you are going to come and get this. This is your show, I swear to God, it's your show. And so I would keep telling, like, I'd tell my roommate to get up and come to auditions, and just certain people I sort of would watch and go, oh, that's their gig, that's not their gig. And then I, at auditions, if it wasn't my gig, I'd be like, awesome, time for lunch. And I'd watch people get really depressed and sad. And I'd be like, dude, did you not watch what happened today? They kept everybody who was five foot eight and shorter who did like double tours. 
So if you're not that person, it's not your gig. Relax. Like, just go go have lunch. It's cool. But the people who are like, oh, my gosh, I, I can't believe I didn't get this job. And I'm like, uh, uh, it's not your gig. It's not your gig. <laughs> L- watch and learn what they're looking for and what they like. So that's wow. how I sort of, that's how I sort of, that's how my mind always worked. Because I always knew, like, I'm going to work with Stroman someday because she kind of likes a tall, dark, handsome, just the, a guy. Yeah. And uh, and she always responded to me at, at auditions. I was like, okay, she's in a, she likes guys that look like me. She likes gals that look like a certain gal you know it's 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 her brand it's what she does and she's she's of course expanded that with all the different shows she's done but if you know like oh if you want to be a rob ashford dancer you are tight and small and like and and specific and good and they have different brands they have different types of people i was never going to work for that so did you tra- did you jump right in when you decided when you said I'm gonna be an agent? I finished my national tour of the producers, did that for two and a half years, and then I came back to New York and I was really specific about what I wanted to audition for, and I was like, I'm only gonna audition for those things that I know I'm gonna get. So there was like a production of Camelot, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna get that. They always love me in tights. What the hell? And and I went to that I went to the to do the show in North Carolina. It was a three week gig, and as soon as I got there, I thought to myself, oh god, three weeks in tights. Here we go. And I could feel my energy, and I was like, "Oh, you're you're one one foot out the door, boo! Like it's time. It's it's if you're already like counting down the days of a gig rather than like every moment is exciting, then it's time. It's good. So then I auditioned for a production of Damn Yankees at the Arena Stage because I love Damn Yankees, and I was always a really good like I'm a great jock on stage. Um, <laughs> And so I got Damn Yankees, and then I interviewed with an agency, and they offered me an internship and said, if you want to learn how to be an agent, this is how you do it. And I said, I appreciate that. That's great. Now, I just auditioned, and I just got a job. And I know I can't be an actor and an agent at the same time, so if you can wait for me for three months, I'm going to finish Damn Yankees, and I will come work for you the very next day. And luckily they said, okay, we'll wait for you. We'll wait for you. And you'll start working for us here in January. And I was like, great, I'm, I'm there. So all during Dame Yankees, everybody in the cast was saying, oh my gosh, do you know what's next? I'm so stressed. Are you going to audition? Like, what's happening? Oh, what, what's, what's your next job? And I was like, oh, I'm retiring and I'm going to become an agent. And everyone's like, well, you'll be back. And I'll be like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm just going to hang up the dancing shoes and I'm going to become an agent. And, uh, and the guy I was living with, my really good friend in Washington, D.C., threw me a swan song party. And everybody in the cast uh. came, and it was all about the, the career because it was, there, was a, there was an end date, and I knew that was, that was it. Wow. And so how long has it been now that you're an agent, officially? I've been in the game for 10 years. 10 years. 10 years. That is amazing. I started off as an uh, as an intern, and then I was an assistant, and then I became an agent. So I don't know the official day I became an agent, but I've been working at agencies for ten years now. So when I first asked you to do this interview, I was like, I want to ask you about <clears throat> representing uh, people in the ensemble, and you laughed and said something snarky like, "Well, you know, Brad, we don't want them to stay in the ensemble." Which Def- no, that's completely definitely snarky. Yes, <laughs> but no, but we have that. Like, I know your intentions were not mean at all but there is something to that so how is it about representing people in the ensemble i think you represent probably half the people i interviewed 
so far. I do. I do represent a lot of them. And um, and they all love you as an agent, by the way. <laughs> but I mean, you do, even though you say you don't want them to stay in the ensemble, you do, you do represent a lot of people in Broadway ensembles yes. and national tour ensembles. Because I also think that the anatomy of an ensemble, the the makeup of an ensemble has changed a lot in the in the 20 years or the 25 years I've been doing this business. Yeah, people in the ensemble have to be ready to step into the shoes of the leads and they have to be Broadway caliber. I mean, it's, it's the kind of talent that is asked of people in any Broadway show is remarkable and amazing. So I don't necessarily look at the words ensemble as a negative word because some of the best jobs out there are ensemble. But when you... When you desire or you want to be a principal and your, your, your goal is to be the lead of a show on Broadway, if that's your goal, then you have to make certain steps to get there because it doesn't just happen. Right. And listen, we all know Sutton Foster started in the ensemble. She was in the ensemble of certain shows. Yep. She, you know, at, when she did Star to Be in Annie, she still had to dance with everyone else. But she got her <laughs> big solo and she should have. Um, but there were steps that she took that, that said, bam, I'm a star now. This is what I'm do. And she took uh, the opportunities and, and made it happen. So I think that that's what people have to do if that's what they desire. And if they don't, if they want to go from show to show to show, then I'm also really great. We're also really great at being able to discuss, well, how long should you stay in the show? Mm. When should you start looking for the next show? Is this show more interesting than that show? Is this a risky move, but an exciting move? Like... There's, there's great things out there to do to create new works and to work with new teams that is a great step in a career. So do you think anyone whose goal is to be in the ensemble or be an understudy, do they all need agents? Do you recommend? I don't think anyone needs an agent. There are people out there. I, I had an agent for one year of my career, and, every t- and I did not have an agent any other time because I knew what my brand was. I knew how to get a job for me, and I was a... I was really good at an open call. That was I, 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 I was much better at an open call than I was at an invited call. Invited call was not my turf, but an open call, I could, I, I was great. Um, so I don't think anybody needs an agent. If people want certain things for their career, then an agent is definitely helpful for them. And that to have a relationship where you can sit there and go, this is my goal. How do we get there together? That takes planning. A career doesn't just happen. It definitely takes planning and discussion and, and figuring out what steps those are. So do you enjoy like actually like creating someone's career for them or guiding them and nurturing them? Yeah. And I love watching the steps that, that we take in order to get certain places. And there are times along that road when you go, you know what? I want to do this show and I want to do this show in Denver because it's an incredible show and it, it's not going to move my career very further but it's, it's a dream role. It's what I want to do. And so that may stall the ultimate goal, but it's also going to create a better actor in you. You're going to be happy if you do your, this, this part. I mean, there's many reasons to say yes to that. So there are certain times when it's, not, it's never a direct line to your ultimate goal. It's sort of like, what path are we going to take? In general, why is it so hard to find an agent? Because it's it's a it's a it's a weird and, and difficult relationship because you want somebody I would imagine an, an actor wants an agent who gets them and understands the goals that they want and an agent has to feel the passion and the desire 
to talk about that person and to help them go to the next place. And I see people all the time where I watch them and go, they are so incredibly talented, so talented. I love watching them on stage. I Every time I see them, they make me so happy. I don't know what their next st- the job should be. I don't know what I would do with them. I don't they're kind of interesting to me but I don't get them totally mm. but I love seeing them and I know they're incredibly successful and I and I, and I celebrate every time they, they do something great but I'm not the right agent for them right. if I see somebody and I go oh my gosh I cannot stop thinking about that person and I can't wait to introduce that person to Tara Rubin and I bet you Susan Stroman's going to love this person and I can't wait to somehow make that introduction and get them in for this audition if my mind starts working like that then I think I'm I'm a great agent for you. So and how do people, you have to have that passion? How do you find your new clients and look for talent? Do you go through stacks of pictures and resumes? Do you go to showcases? Well, we definitely go to showcases. A lot of the showcases of the schools that happen in the spring. Uh, we definitely go to a bunch of shows that our clients are in. Oftentimes friends of theirs in that show are looking for agents and if there's some moment where I'm like whoa I love that person so much I just want to say hi you know if you're ever I hope you have your agent and I hope you're really really happy but if you aren't and if you you know want to, want to talk ever my door is open I'd love love to discuss further or uh, or you know the the miracle happens where someone sends in a picture and resume and I just look at this picture and go wow that person needs to be on TV right now wow and I've done that. I, 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 like, I like a couple success stories I have of like, I found them in the mail. And now they're big TV stars. And I think to myself, I found them in, in the mail. That doesn't happen all the time. It's hard because right. we all know it's difficult to find the perfect picture. Yep. And the resume that says something or speaks to me or whatever it is. But it does happen. And we do look at it. And there's, there's people who I look at their picture and I put it aside but I don't get rid of it. And then I look at it a month later and I go, why am I still thinking about this person? Mm. I don't know. And then I think, oh, I've got some time this week. Let me meet them because something about them yeah. is interesting. And it may not lead to me repping them, but it leads to getting to know who they are and see what the next step might or might not be. So say you accept someone and you're going to represent them. How does the submitting process work for if a new Broadway show's coming and you're submitting and you're pushing? I mean, how does that actually work for you well we have in our office we have four agents the three partners and uh, uh, another uh, Brett Rigby who's a, an agent as well and we will whoever's project it is we'll look at it and they'll put down their ideas and we'll pass that around and uh, everyone will get a chance to put their different ideas and we'll submit that to the casting director and so we click on the names and say here are the names that we think after reading the description we think this is a good fit. And so we'll send out our ideas to the cast director. And then the cast director will go through all the agencies mm. and all of their ideas and bring it down. And then they'll call us and say, we want to see these six people. And we'll be like, oh, okay. What about these other four? And they're like, oh, we'll see those other two. Maybe that third. And so there's time to push and there's time to, I, I don't think you saw so-and-so but I think they're really great for this. And they're like, well, we talked about them, but they're not right. And, you know, we have dialogue back and forth. And then uh, and then the auditions happen. Even for an, uh, an invited, say, dance call or something like that, where they could have 
more than 20 people in the room, they're still like, no, we don't want to have that person come and dance for us or sing for us. Yeah, because there's still time limits. It's still an invited dance call can't end up being like an open call. They still have to keep it down to a certain number. And the reality is it's like somebody like, you know, Casey Nicola, he knows a lot of people in this business right now. So he can't just invite everybody he knows out of courtesy. You have to sit there and go, okay, this new show I'm doing is a style and a, and a feeling who fits into that? Let's invite them. Because I'm still going to invite 30 people. Right. And I'm only going to hire six. So, that and that's just at the invite a call. Like, the open call is going to bring in people that they've never met before or that they didn't think about for this. And you're like, oh, this is a cool idea as well. So, yeah, I mean, we definitely have to vet our ideas and sort of give them the best ideas we've got in hopes that they pick them up. I took a workshop at the Telsey office and one of the casting directors told me, which was shocking, she told all of us, she's like, you need to stop getting mad at your agents for not submitting you for stuff because they do. We just don't want to see you. <laughs> and it was so uh, shocking to hear that because, of course, us as actors are always like, my agent's not working for me and not working for me. But to hear a casting director say that, no, your agents do, just it's us there saying no. It was put a big perspective on things. Yeah, I think, I mean... I think that so many actors need to understand, and ensemble members as well, everybody needs to understand, we know, people know that as an actor, you can do anything, because that's what you've been taught. You're an actor, you wanna act. If you wanna act like a rich person, you'll act like a rich person. You wanna act like a poor person, you'll act like a poor person. You wanna act like a cowboy, you'll act like a cowboy. But the reality is there are some people who innately just are that. Right. And so it's a lot easier to cast the person who just has the air about them that fits into the show really well and not cast the person who's going to have to act really hard in order to get to be at that place. Because you still want it to be authentic and still want it to be good. And there's so many people, you're just going to pick the what you think is going to be the best for that project. So how do you feel when you call someone to say they booked Broadway show? Or they oh my gosh, it's the best thing in the world. We have a thing about in our office, we talk about like, making dreams come true. Like, what do you do all day? I make dreams come true. And there's reality to that. There's, surely. there's truth There's truth in that because if somebody comes to the agency and says, all I want in my life is to be on Broadway, and nine months later, we get to call them and say, we're going to make your dream come true. You're going to be on Broadway. And that's the greatest thing in the world. Like, how yeah. awesome. And then we get to say, but I want to let you know, that we have to soon start thinking of some new goals because mm. you've done it. Like, yeah. if this is all you wanted in life, then you're done. Well, who wants that? Who wants that <laughs> at, at 24? So it's it's fun to go. Great. Now let's let's build more. Let, let's let's have more dreams. It's the greatest thing in the world because most of the time that first call is what they've always wanted. Right. Well, how is it when you have to call someone and after months of callbacks and stuff like that, you have to say, "Look, this isn't going to happen for you." Mm hard difficult I used to tell when I first started this being an agent I I thought that I got more excited about people's successes than I than I did when I had my own successes huh. it's more exciting for me to watch to be able to say you got a Broadway show than it was the day I got my Broadway show but it also is harder and more difficult when the letdowns happen when you're the second choice because for me you being the second choice is a great thing. It's not the best thing. The best thing would be get the part. But getting the second choice means 
that Jack O'Brien knows who you are and really does like you as an actor. And mm. probably there's going to be a day that you're going to be able to get to work together. Yeah. And Tara Rubin knows you've got the goods to be this good. So she's going to call you in for the next project she's got going. So you've gained a bunch of fans. That does not pay your bills. No. And that's a that's a huge letdown because your life could have changed had you got that Broadway show. And it's not going to change because you didn't get it and you're struggling just as hard right now as you were a day ago. And that sucks. So it's really difficult to feel somebody's pain and yet for me as an agent knowing it's actually a wonderful thing. We're, we're so close. It's so, it's so going to happen. Like you have to know at this point that reality is going to happen. Like this potential is there. Like it can't crush you so that you quit the business because that's going to happen daily. Right. And it's hard to be impervious when you're like, can I take your order please? You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's so frustrating. Yeah. To some of your clients become like children and you feel like you have to nurture them and, and, and uh, encourage them. Sure. I don't know if they can become like children, but I guess we all become like children at certain, part, at certain points. But I, yeah, I, I talk to people sometimes and say what my job like is right now is 50% sales and 50% therapy. <laughs> because I'm either trying to talk someone into an audition or talk them off the ledge and say, no, you're going to do great today. Just, just know that you can do this. Like, don't let your nerves get in your way. Or have to talk to them after letting them down and... and, and I have to build them up because the next day there's another audition and I want them to be really good at that one too. Yeah. I hear people say all the time and I think I've even said it like my agent didn't even get me this job and now I have to give them 10%. Mm. That's just something that uh, people have to deal with, right? Well, yeah, you have, depending on what your relationship with, with your agency. Absolutely. And those are, those are real feelings. People have those feelings all the time. But it all depends on what kind of agreement and relationship you guys have because if, if your agent has gotten you 20 auditions this past month and they've all been great auditions and you've been thankful to get these auditions but you didn't get any of those parts but then your best friend called you and said I want you to be on Broadway in my show and you go well he didn't get me this job like I shouldn't pay him for this job and I'm like well what have I done for the past few months and like look at all those other auditions where I didn't get paid but you made you know made a lot of fans so yeah, I mean, if you're a signed client and you are like, you're like, this is what I'm gonna do for the next year. We're gonna work together to make this happen. If it gets to be too much of that, if you are saying that all the time, then maybe you don't want an agent. Right. Then that that goes back to saying, does everyone need an agent? No, not everyone needs an agent. That everyone has to decide if it's right for them or not. Yeah, but yeah, because you're not getting paid for every audition that you send. We're not getting paid for anything. Yes, until we book it, and if we don't book it for years and years and years. Agents deserve that 10% of that small regional theater show that you got on your own. Sure. I mean, especially if you want to continue. If, if, the, if, if, that's, if that's what you guys have been doing together. Yeah. You know, if you feel like it's a situation where you're like, I don't hear from them for a year, and then they're like, give me my 10%, it doesn't sound like it's a good relationship. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, <laughs> actors need to also be proactive with their own careers. They can't rely completely on, on an agent. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, for example, you came up to me and you're like, you have to go in for a disaster. You're so right for it. Um, I called my agent. My agent's like, well, they're not having an invited dance call. So I went to the open call because I something I needed to do. I mean, some actors would just be like, well, you know what? If I don't get an appointment, I'm not going to go in. What do you think that they should, how should an actor proceed with things like that if they can't get an appointment? 
Should they go to the EPA? Should they do that? If this, if yeah, I I, would, I love to use the example of Little Night Music when when they did the production of Little Night Music on Broadway. Everyone wanted in. Everybody wanted to audition for that show, and Tara Rubin's office had what seems like four hours to cast it. Like it, they, the 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 limited time they had with their director and the choreographer and and the creative team did not allow them to audition everyone in town. So they had to be so specific as to who got into that audition. They had to be like, okay, we're only showing them like the three best people or whatever, five best people for each role. That's all the time we have. So clients who complained and said, I can't believe I can't get in for this. I'm so right for it. I would say, then you need to go to the EPA. If this is that thing that you believe in your heart of hearts, you need to be seen. Somebody is going to see you if you go to this open call or this EPA. It may not change their mind. It may not change their vision. It might not give you a chance, but you had the opportunity. Right. You, you you cannot have what ifs if you if you make it happen. And so if there are those situations or those shows you're like, I need to be seen, there's luckily many ways your union protects you that you can get seen. Well, no, I think that that's fantastic. I mean, you can't just sit on your hands and just wait for your agent to call as well. Yeah, and, and there's many times where... Uh, a cast director is going to call me and say, by the way, we're not having an invited dance call. So if you have people that really, really want to do West Side Story, tell them they should come to the open call. We're going to see everybody and we're going to dance everyone there. And everybody who has a part, Action, Snowboy, Chino, all of those guys have to dance first. They all have parts. They all are almost, they're all principal players even if they're in the quote-unquote ensemble but they're gonna have to dance first so in that situation i call people that i think you know that they it'd be great to do west side story at paper mill that'd be awesome go to the dance call you're going to be seen if you go to the dance call don't tell me i'm going to wait for an, an, an invite to this party because there may not be an invite right no that's good to know it's good for me to hear as well yeah so uh, you see a lot of shows. Do you yes. go? I mean, if you get a lot of invites uh, and you go, you went into somewhere and saw Hee Haw because you had clients in yes. it. Yes. So I mean, somewhere you're like somewhere, somewhere, yes. somewhere they did Hee Haw. Um, but I think that that's so great because it's. I mean, I love the fact that when I knew you as a performer, you were so crazy passionate about it. And now that I know you uh, as a an agent, you're so crazy passionate about that. So I think that that's really great. Um, do you miss performing? I tell people, I people always ask me, I miss half hour. I miss uh, the half hour. There's nothing like half hour. There's nothing like getting to the theater and signing in and knowing that in 30 minutes, I can do everything I want to do. I can go into stage manager's office and giggle with them and I go and say hello to the wardrobe staff and laugh and talk about what happened last night, and blah, blah, blah. And then sit in a girl's dressing room as they all get you know dressed and laugh and they're like why is goddard still here and we're having fun and then i sneak into the guy's dressing room at like five minutes till places (laughs) and i put my clothes on really fast and and i laugh with my friends there and then we all meet on stage at places and there's three to five minutes of everyone just sort of like collecting together and saying all right we're about to do this thing let's do it i don't necessarily miss when the curtain goes up to the curtain goes down that's a lot of work (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot of work, and I can't kick anymore. Um, but I do miss everything else. Does that injury have anything to do with your uh, transition to be an agent, or no? I was just old. Just no, it's also, and I also wanted a second career. I oh, okay. wanted 
I knew that if I didn't start soon, like I was 37 and I was an intern. Like, that's crazy talk. That is crazy. But luckily, I had saved up enough money and I had, you know, started to live my life that I, how I wanted to live it and said, this is the only way to then... Because one day, someone just anoints you an agent. Like, I didn't go to school to become an agent. I just started working. Luckily, when I started working, the telephone rang and it was a casting director and I was like, oh my God, she loves me. And they're like, all right, then take the phone call. And I started having accounts because I knew them, like... Tara Rubin called and she was like, Goddard, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm doing this thing now. She's like, oh, great. Can I, can I talk to you about so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, let's make this happen. So that was fun to be able to know people on different sides. Oh, absolutely. And watch that. Go. And so all those people that said, will you be my agent? Were they all knocking on your door now? It was interesting that the first sort of six months, people were sort of watching closely. And then people would call and then it stopped for a while. And then people would call again. So people either decide, like, is he really going to stay? Like, is this really going to happen? And mm. has he really done something? And, and does he know what he's doing? And it's funny. Some people do. Yeah. You know. It's, it's, like you said, it's the hardest thing in the world to find an agent. And, and in our agency, it's not just about, do you want me to be your agent? It's the entire team has to be your agent. So everyone has to unanimously agree on everybody. And that's difficult. And now you have your own agency with your name on the door, which is very exciting. Yes. And I thought, you know, I thought, oh, well, I can make all the rules now, but it's a partnership. So we all have to agree on everything. So this is just a random personal question uh, that not personal in that way. Uh, <laughs> like everyone's dream. My dream was to be a chorus boy on Broadway or be a chorus boy. Now the word chorus has gotten this a bad word. It's always ensemble. Uh, but it's just so funny, like, when did, like, the being in the chorus become a bad thing and it's ensemble? I know ensemble is more inclusive, but why is that? I don't know. I, the, the word chorus boy became a really bad term. Like, oh, he's just a chorus boy. Right. Like, what does that mean, just a chorus boy? I mean, to sit there and go from show to show to show and do 10 years on Broadway, but you weren't the lead... It's a pretty great life. Like you probably bought yourself a second house. Exactly. You know? So I don't get that quite honestly. Um, but I think it's I think it's when people's uh, goals or or desires become more intense. There's also more things to do. You know, it's not just I want to dance for the rest of my life because nobody dances for the rest of their life. Like no, like, and you can't be in a Broadway ensemble if you're just a dancer anymore. Right, no, totally. So I think that it's just a matter of like what creative teams are asking people in the ensemble to do are pretty crazy. Yeah. Like I was thinking this morning, like oftentimes the swing is the last person to get cast and they go, great, we do need a swing, but now we also need a cover for these two principal roles and they have to swing these people and this guy flips and this person does this. So this super swing is happening who has to be good enough to understudy the lead of the show and still do everything else mm -hmm. so it's it's insane sometimes what people like when the breakdown comes out for a swing in a show you're like what no who who does that yeah and they will go out and search the world because that's how it ended up that this, this needs to be covered and this is the person who's going to do it and be the dance captain and, you know, everything else. No, it's it's crazy. Some of the breakdowns that uh, agent, my agent will call me and they're like, they want you to come in for this. I was like, I, I can't do that. Yeah. 
like, well, what can you do? I was like, well, nothing. I, I sing, dance, and act. Like, that's why. And don't... we asked, great, can you learn it by Tuesday? Yes. I know that you can't do it now, but can you do it by Tuesday? I'm like, you want me to play electric guitar and learn the trombone? Yes. To be in SpongeBob? Yes. I'm like, no. Yes. Well, this was amazing. I have to tell you that, like, I thought we were going to teehee a lot during this. You're very eloquent. Uh, <laughs> no, and I always knew that because you're really, like, but we have, you're such a fun person. That uh, to actually sit across the table from you, you're I, I like I'm glad I'm very happy that uh, you transitioned to be uh, an agent because you're. you're I'm in transit. It's very hip these it's days. Very, Being a transit, I'm transitioning. You're transitioning. But so thank you so much. You, I mean, do you have any? Uh, what's your most proud moment? Uh, being both one in uh, being a performer and one in being an agent. Oh wow, that's so. Difficult. It wasn't on the list. Most, Sorry. Uh, most <laughs> proud moment. Um, yeah, I think that you know, most proud moment of, of being a performer is 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 getting to live that dream of walking out of the stage door. Like that that monologue that happens in chorus line is so true, mm-hmm. isn't it? Morales who talks about like I wanted to be that person. Yeah. Like I stood at those stage doors and I watched those people come out. Oh, my whole life was this. This is all I ever dreamed of. And and I even did this career for a long time as sort of like, oh, it's fun, so I guess I'll keep doing it. I didn't find it to be as hard as other people found it to be, but I also sort of think it's because I... All I ever wanted to be was a working actor. So I took every job all the time. I was out of town all the time doing something for six weeks, doing something for eight weeks. So if I was the agent to my career, I'd be like, oh, we're doing this all wrong. <laughs> but I also got to say I'm a working actor for 16 years. That's great. Right. So I have no regrets about that. I was never going to be a star, so that's all fine. Um, greatest moment of, most proudest moment of being an agent is probably the moment where I talked to a client that I know has the goods and had the goods. And she was being called into audition for a Broadway show and they said we want her to come and audition for the understudy of the lead and I said okay so did you cast the lead and they're like no we're still looking and I was like okay so the lead is not cast but she's going to come in for the understudy we're like yeah we just don't think she's got we think that she's going to be a great understudy we just don't think she's going to be the lead I said but the lead is not cast and they said no it's not so I called her and I said let me tell you you're being called in to audition for the understudy, but I want to let you know they have not found the role. So if you walk in to this audition and you are this role, you're going to get it. It's available. Like they may in their minds think that you're not the right person right now, but if the role is available and you walk in and you are every bit what they've ever dreamed that character to be, you you have the power to change minds. 100%, you have the power to change minds as an actor. You have three minutes to do it, but when you walk, when you walk into that room, you have the power, and it could be an uphill battle, but the power is yours, and that's the only power you have as an actor is those three minutes. So I just told her I was like, you know, I want you to go in there, knowing that they haven't found a woman to play this part, and she went in there and she booked the part, and the 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 music director is a good friend of mine called me and was like, Michael, your girl came in, oh my god, what. Well, she might just get this. And I was like, because she walked in and said, it's available and that's what I want. So that was my most proud moment is that 
I always tell people I love when everybody does their job. Everybody does their job. Like, I do my job and I talk her into the room. And the cast director does their job and they trust me enough for my recommendation. And even though they don't have a lot of time to see her, they're going to believe that she might be the answer they need because they have to do their job because the directors told them to only bring in the best people. Mm. And then the actor has to do the job that they told me that they do and they walk in and they do their best. And I already told the cast director that they can do this and that and this, so the actor has to be able to do that. And then the director has to be able to direct them and see that they're the right person and the producer has to be able to pay them. And when everybody does their job and everybody succeeds and that turns into a booking, it's the greatest moment in the world. Well, thank you very much. That's a lovely story. Well, it's a good story. It is a good story. So what's your favorite song that of any show that you've ever worked with? I like to leave with a song. Oh, my God. Tugboat. <laughs> Tugboat and Thou Shalt Not. Oh my <laughs> uh, there's so many moments. There's just, oh, there's so many moments. Like The first thing I thought of is Hard Candy Christmas. Done. That's Whorehouse. a great one. I, tr- I toured the country of Whorehouse with uh, Anne Margaret as Miss Mona. Oh, wow. And uh, and there's something great about hearing the song at the end of the, end of the show. Oh, well, thank you very much. You're that's welcome. What, that's what we're going to hear at the end of this podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> Maybe I'll just leave town Maybe I'll have some fun